Welcome to the sixth chapter in the unofficial Beatrice Williams series. I'm Natalie. I'm Jess. I'm Pam. And I'm Nancy. And we're your hosts of the Novel Expressions Book Club. Today we're talking about a certain age, and let's go ahead and dive right into the historical context. Well, a certain age is set in the 1920s, otherwise known as the Roaring Twenties, which Beatrice Williams, in the author's note at the end of the novel, describes as the conflict between youth and age, tradition and modernism, between the old and the new. We see Miss Williams explore this conflict in several areas. In its music, in, there's a huge contrast between the traditional classical music that had been very popular prior to the 1920s and now the modern popular but highly criticized jazz music that the flappers are enjoying. There's also the fashion. Uh, there are many allusions during the book to the more traditional figure-enhancing fashion that had been in vogue at the uh, had been in vogue, and then the dropped waist dresses and coats coats that hid one's figure that is characteristic of the flapper attire. Also, there's a contrast in the societal mores. Divorce is a scandal, yet women and men in the 20s are beginning to embrace it. And finally, in the characters, Teresa of a certain age is seeing a, the boy who is in his 20s, and then Sophie, who is a young woman, is betrothed to Jay, who is in his late 30s. So we continue to see this conflict. All right, so let's talk about some of those characters that Nancy just mentioned. Over to you, Pam. So we have Mrs. Teresa Marshall. She is a 44-year-old, calculating, thorough, intuitive woman, one of New York's high society old money class, wife to Mr. Sylvester Silvo Marshall, mother to Billy, Oliver, and Tommy, who died in the war, and lover to our next character, Captain Octavian Refrano, a.k.a. Boy or Boyo. Aren't Teresa's nicknames for her husband and her lover cute? He is a 22-year-old man who flew a fighter plane during the war in France. He has no family, which led him to summer at Ned Vanderwall's house in Long Island after returning from Paris, and that is where he met Teresa. By the end of our novel, he is, of course, newly married to Sophie Fortescue. Then we have Mr. Edmund J. Oxner, a.k.a. Ox. He is younger brother to Teresa Marshall, who describes him as a confirmed an eminently successful bachelor. As our novel begins, he is smitten with Sophie Fortescue, or more accurately, her money, and he convinces Big Sisser to send someone as a cavalier to propose to her on his behalf. By the end, he does seem to be genuinely heartbroken, or at least very disappointed, that Sophie won't have him after all. We have Sophie Fortescue Fanonal, a sheltered, naive 19-year-old woman who has spent much of her childhood tinkering on machines and engines like her father. Because of her recent entrance into society, she is seeing life with new eyes. She has caught the eye of Jay Oxner, and she is quite taken with his attention, and eventually the cavalier who comes to propose for him. After an emotional romance and personal life roller coaster, Sophie eventually goes after what she wants, 
and becomes Mrs. Octavian Refrano Jr. Virginia Fitzwilliam, aka Virgo, is Sophie's older sister who spent time in France with the Red Cross during the war. She returned home married with a young daughter named Evelyn, but Sophie and her father have yet to meet Virginia's husband. Because she helped raise Sophie, she is somewhat of a mother figure to her. Mr. Monty Fortescue, fan and all, Sophie and Virginia's father, a strict, aloof inventor who is trying to see his youngest daughter married off to a reputable family. He is eventually accused of having murdered his wife when Sophie was just three years old. And then, of course, we have the Julie Schuyler. And while we're all very familiar with her at this point, I'll just note that at the beginning of this book, she is Sophie's new friend. She has spent the last few months helping Sophie break free of her cocoon in good old-fashioned Julie Schuyler style. Some other characters who need mentioned, if not described, um, Philip, Julie's second cousin, and his wife Lucy Schuyler from The Forgotten Room, of course, and then Mr. and Mrs. Lumley and Mr. Magnifico, who are all part of the murder trial. All right, so let's go ahead and get into our favorite elements um, and some of those characters that Pam just mentioned on uh, the murder trial. I think my favorite element of this book was the tit and tattle um, element that, you know, you, you've got this whole story going on uh, of the characters, I guess, back in time, realistically, um, a few months. And then you've got this murder trial that's happening and kind of playing out real time. And I just loved the voice in those parts of the story. Um, and it, I thought it was a really cool way to tell the murder trial and show you it without giving away too much too soon so she could go back and tell the rest of the story. Um, but I just thought that was re really unique. And then um, the really clever chapter headings that tell you like what point in time it is. So like, you know, you might go from Sophie and they have she has an interaction with Teresa and then Teresa's chapter heading might be the next moment or something like that. Um, so I just thought that was really cool instead of using just dates or... Uh, trying to make the reader keep track. She really tied the stories together in real time. All right, so my favorite is probably the fact that Beatriz is able to capture feelings and moments that we've all had in such a succinct and accurate way. So the first quote I have is when she was talking about the difference between real and fake compassion. And she says, Octavian's eyes are large and soft with compassion. Real compassion, not the synthetic kind that squishes the faces of all those people in the courtroom. A compassion that's really curiosity, morbidity, the way you manufacture sorrow for someone struck by a streetcar. Um, and then the second quote I really liked is when she was talking about that moment when you just feel like you're kind of losing it. Um, and this was after the whole thing with Sophie's dad being killed in the end. And it says, Sophie bends over, clutching her ankles, gasping for air, and each time she thinks she has herself under control, the giggles bubble back up in her throat. And that's when she realizes that her shoes don't match. <laughs> so I just love those two quotes in the book. I'm not sure if this is allowed, but my favorite element was also uh, the tit and tattle by Patty Cake for two main reasons. One, it reminded me of the reporter from Princess Diaries. I don't mm. know if you remember, mm -hmm. but I could hear her giving <laughs> the information when I was reading the book. So I, that was just funny for me. And then I think the other reason is that by the end, we know that it's written by Mrs. Teresa Marshall. And that makes me laugh. Mm -hmm. um, also, I completely forgot that mm -hmm. from the first time we read. So I was surprised all over again. I did as well. Totally forgot she was the same character. 
uh, one of my favorite elements is all of the nods to other books, to other characters, and to real-life families that tie in with Beatrice Williams' other novels. For example, I loved the part where um, the sandcastle that Julie built had been kicked over by the Bouvier boys, and that is Jackie Kennedy Onassis's maiden name. And remember in a previous novel, the connection to the Kennedy family. So I loved how she brought that back up. I loved also that there was a telegram from Cocoa Beach, which of course is another one of Beatrice's novels. And we can't forget Ox's law firm is Willig and White, Beatrice's two writing partners for uh, now I think three novels, three or four novels. Three, yeah, three at this point. Yeah, she's really amazing at that. Um, and I think the great part about reading all of these books back to back like we're doing now in such quick succession is that we're able to pick up on more of those things that maybe were overlooked before. And I think in particular, talked about this in a previous episode, but um, we've seen it that it's continuing here is the pattern that's emerging amongst, amongst the books where some flip back in time uh, within a short period and have relatively the same character set and then flipping back in time between two distinct time periods with different character sets. And this one, um, following on from Along the Infinite Sea, which was two different time periods, two different character sets. This one is back to the two close periods with basically the same character set. So she's keeping consistent with her pattern. And I would say I wonder if she even meant to, but of course she meant to. Of course she did. She's Beatrice. <laughs> so one of the things I wanted to bring up was the character of Teresa. Most often I at least like the characters a little bit. And I found myself in this one, Teresa just rubbed me the wrong way. Mm. I just didn't really like her. But then you get these little snippets throughout of things that have happened in her life that you kind of start to understand a little bit more why she is the way she is. And then you start to realize, okay, maybe she's not as bad. It makes sense why she is acting this way. Um, and some of those things that I was thinking about, number one, was her loveless marriage that she was in, although I think in the beginning she kind of expected that it was going to be a good one, mm. um, and it wasn't. And then the loss that she experienced. She lost that baby girl who was stillborn. Mm. She lost her son Tommy to the war. And so those kind of have hardened her into the person that she's become. I think it's the um, juxtaposition of her against Sophie, who is, like, so innocent and so nice and just, like, has had this kind of snowy white, very sheltered existence mm -hmm. that when you, when you put those two and they're both, in a sense, competing for Octavian's attention, you're like, well, Sophie should absolutely get it. She's yeah. his age, you know, all of these different things. But um, I think that's what makes Teresa almost seem worse. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, as you said, there definitely are elements, you know, she talks a lot about like feeling like she's a certain age, um, mm -hmm. you know, she's past her prime, so to speak, um, that makes her feel more human. Mm -hmm. And if, if I'm honest, I, I don't really like her mm -hmm. and I don't necessarily love Sophie either. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it was an interesting thing for me. I really liked the book, mm -hmm. but either of those two characters, but what I will say about Teresa, since you're talking about her is I don't necessarily like her, but I respect her. Yeah. There are certain things. I don't respect the adulterous relationship, mm -hmm. but there are certain things. One of them I'll just point out is that if we think about it, she could keep Octavian in the end. She mm -hmm. has the power to do that, For and sure. he certainly pledged that to her, and she lets him go. Mm -hmm. And I do respect that. For sure. I mean, the baby. Of course, we have to talk she, about the yes. baby. I mean, she mm -hmm. could have kept him with that. Right. Mm -hmm. You know? And a uh, couple of the things, I actually, even though I thought Teresa 
was a problematic type of character. I mean, she was not a perfect person. I actually liked her. And I liked her because I thought she was so real. She was just exactly what I would expect a woman of her age, her certain age, to be in facing all these changes in her society, having the opportunity to be with this man who made her feel younger, mm -hmm. and yet she still had the integrity, as you guys have mentioned, to let him go at the end, which, you know, as you said, she could mm -hmm. have kept him. But one of the things that she said that I thought was so true, and I think it was one of the, the difference between the old times and the more modern times of the 1920s, and yet it was still a problem. She said, what does it take anymore for two people to say what they really mean? There was a lot of nuanced stuff. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of conversation that was talked around, mm -hmm. but no one ever really said what they really meant. And it was frustrating to her. I think she was a, a realist, if nothing else. But my absolute favorite passage, and this happens very early in the book, is after um, Ox had been to see um, Sophie as the cavalier, and he realizes that she has, that Teresa realizes that he has spent time with Sophie and he's beginning to like her. And she says, You're um, talking after Octavian meets Sophie, right? Correct. Okay. Did I say? I think you said Ox. So oh, Octavian sorry. meets Sophie. Right. And she says, um, I want to say something kind about this child, this Sophie something generous. I really do. But it's as if I've boarded a ship of some kind, have taken command of an ocean liner of immense gross tonnage, and though I can clearly see that our course is leading to a disastrous collision, I can't quite seem to put the engines in reverse. There's no possible way to change direction. And the reason that this meant so much to me is because I think I've been in those situations before where I know that the next thing I say is probably going to hurt the situation more than it's going to help it, but I can't stop myself from saying it anyway. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, Teresa is such a real character to me. And that's actually why I liked her, even though she was a very flawed uh, person. I, well, I think we can say that that's true of a lot of Beatrice's characters. Mm -hmm. that, that's why we love them. We yes. love their voice because mm -hmm. they're real. They say the things that you know you might be thinking, but you don't say. Mm -hmm. They talk to you. Mm -hmm. um, they yeah. really give you Yeah, that. I would never say... She's a bad character. It wasn't well written. Right. She's great. She's a great she's character. Real. Mm -hmm. I just personally wouldn't like right. her. You don't want to hang out <laughs> with know? her. Right. Like you right. would maybe Viv, right. for example. Oh, totally. And I think a lot of times people try to write books where you love the main uh -huh. character. And Beatrice does it so well to where you really just don't the yeah. whole time. You really <laughs> just that's don't okay. like her. Yeah. Mom, were you just about to say she might be fun to hang out with? I, think, you she with I think she would be totally fun to hang out with. And I'd much rather hang out with her than Sophie yeah. any day. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I would like to hang out with Julie Schuyler. Right. right. Well, yeah. I think what you and Teresa could just say shocking things. Yeah. Yes, yeah. right. Yeah. And it would be so much fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so another thing we, you, someone touched on this already. I think mom, you touched on it in the, um, in your favorite element. Yes. Um, but there were a lot of callbacks to her other books at this point. So Sophie went to our Avenal exhibit, which obviously is a callback to, um, the forgotten room. One of my favorite parts, just because we, we know from having yes. read a hundred summers, like that they end up together, but Julie talks about kissing um, Peter mm -hmm. and how kissing him would be like kissing her brother, but they were married for at least a period of time. Um, 
And then we see Christina Dane at Bergdorf Goodman's at the beginning um, when she's with Julie. And she's also with Lily right. at the that's time. Right. And that's when Sophie meets Julie. Um, and then we see her again at Philip Schuyler's party. And just the way that she's described, mm -hmm. um, just, I think there's a comment about like her mouth. Yep. Mm -hmm. Just being so. But, um, yeah, so there's just Prunish. lots of, yes, yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. you, just, you can't you see look me. at her and know she's a cranky lady. <laughs> she's mm -hmm. uptight. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. exactly. So there's just so many um, callbacks that I thought were really cool. They even mentioned Christina's husband came back from the war, an absolute wreck, mm -hmm. which also we know from uh, 100 Summers. And what I think is so cool about that is, you know, I think for a long time I had this idea that you, you wouldn't like, you don't give away what's going to happen. You, you read things chronologically and you don't give... But because we're reading, you know, the first book had some time from the 30s, and now here we are in the 20s, but we know she marries Peter, but it's still so good. Right. Wow. It's not, it doesn't feel like anything's been given away. In fact, it feels like a little nugget, like, ooh, I know about that. Yeah. I remember I a little something. You yeah. know, that's fun. That's exciting. Yeah. For sure. Um, one of the other things that was just so foreign to me, I cannot understand this at all, is the concept of a cavalier. Why would you send, and this is a perfect example, yeah. why would you send someone else to propose for you? Yeah, this one backfired. And yeah. then end up losing your fiancé to him. And especially someone who is younger than you and is the girl's age who you were trying to propose to. And is handsome and is, and is yeah. in uniform, like all yes. of these things. And I actually looked it up to see if that was a common occurrence during the 1920s. And it was not... Huh. But it was something from the old country. Yeah. Mm. And so this was a throwback as Teresa and Ox's family are, you know, very historically yes. connected, that this was a throwback to something that would have been done in the old country. It was mm. not a common thing in the U.S. during that time period. It was an Oxner thing. Well, yes. a New York thing. Into yeah. the, like, the heritage of the ring, I think, yes. was maybe yes. also part of it. Yes. Well, I find it funny that not only did it backfire in that, Jay, you know, sending this guy for him. Teresa suggested the guy. <laughs> right. Right. So it backfired on her, her too. Yeah. Very true. <laughs> well, so that kind of goes along with this whole old wealth versus new wealth. And I think in this story particularly, we saw some new racism kind of come up mm. that I haven't really seen before in Beatrice's novels. Um, she actually mentioned the N-word mm -hmm. in this book when referencing jazz music. Mm -hmm. Um and she also said that Octavian was not of the same caliber as the Vanderwalls because of the vowel that was at the end of his name and the fact that he was too new and too dark. Mm. And I, we're assuming he was Italian? Yeah, we're not really sure, but the O kind of does. Yeah, so right. just that idea that because they're a little bit different, they're not necessarily in the mm -hmm. same class as everyone else. And the idea that the Vanderwalls, because of the type of guy he is, mm -hmm. would have an old buddy's son come stay with him mm -hmm. right if that's what you do you know? well and also like how Sophie's dad is so interested in having her marry into the Oxner family despite the fact that they have no money mm -hmm. like that's not his you know right. he's bringing the money to the table mm -hmm. the, the Sophie's family is but that their name and their heritage is so important even though they've kind of run themselves into the ground like that to me just feels so foreign I mean I know obviously we've seen that in other books right we saw it in Along the Infinite right. Sea with um Annabelle's parents that's kind of how they came together the wife brought the money to the family but but it's, it is the difference between the family name actually trumping the money yeah especially mm -hmm. if the money is new money yeah so the family name is much more the reputation the the um 
interconnectedness of who they know and what influence they have is far more important. And I think that it goes along with that whole Kennedy idea. Mm-hmm. Ken- the Kennedys were an extremely influential family, and so it's kind of that New England type of mentality. Mm-hmm. I wish I would have thought to note this. There was one small little line where Sophie and Virginia's dad makes the comment about wanting to get his daughter's new names. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it was they're women, they're going to take someone else's name, and then fan and all is a thing of the past. Fortescue is a thing because he knew, I think he's been living on edge for 15 years of what could happen. You know, Mm -hmm. they could get to that point where somebody finds out. Mm -hmm. And so if they have a new name, the further they are from that old name, the better. So I I think there was that little part of him too, like, oh good, at least I have daughters who can change their name Mm -hmm. rather than sons who are stuck to that name. And honestly, we haven't talked about him very much. Mm But imagine what it would have been like for him to have lived that lie for so many years. Right. I just I just can't even imagine that. Mm-hmm. Well, or for Virginia, who this whole time knew what had happened, knew that her mom was murdered, and Sophie had no idea, and she couldn't share that with that burden with her. She mm-hmm. just had to keep it to herself. Mm-hmm. It would have been awful. And that Virginia was afraid to ask. Right. Yeah. Because she was afraid of the answer. Because she was pretty sure it, her dad did do it. Mm-hmm. Right? When Isn't he that didn't. When yeah, he did, did not. Yeah. She yeah, didn't want to did know not. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just very mm-hmm. sad. Mm-hmm. You'd have to keep a piece of your heart from your father thinking that he murdered your mother. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's what they lived with for so long. Right. So anything else, I want to talk about the author's note, but that's going to take us a little bit off topic from this book. So anything else about this story that we haven't, I mean, we haven't really talked about the kind of climax of the book Mm -hmm. in the hotel room with the whole scene that plays out there. Um, Do we want to talk about And actually, I was just thinking about Virginia a little bit more Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because, you know, there's something there. There's this kind of mystery with her. So she's come home from France. Um, she's married. She has a daughter. This this husband seems to be like, is he real? You know, or did she just change her name because she got pregnant? Right. And there are references to him. There's a telegram mentioned when she's in the hotel room. You know, um, Teresa arrives there and Teresa thinks some things. You know, and so it kind of gets us wondering. And then she leaves. And I, it's kind of cool how we don't really know what happened between them. You know, they had a conversation. We know part of it. We don't know the whole thing. But for whatever reason, Virginia leaves mm-hmm. to go to Florida. Mm-hmm. And Virginia, and I'm sorry, and Teresa stays in the hotel room, right. you know, Strange. all night. And and just then how everything transpires from there. So there's there's still something, but I love it. It's this, ooh, what, what do mm-hmm. we get to find out next, right. you know, is in there. I love that. Definitely. Anything else? Last call. I don't have anything. All right, so let's get into the author's note. Um, and I don't have it in front of me, but the the gist of the start of the author's note is that um, Beatrice spent her childhood going to see different plays, um, going to uh, different summer festivals of Shakespeare's. And so she she makes a comment that I was, she says, I was regularly exposed to the uncensored lewdness of Shakespeare. Um, so I know in past episodes, we've talked about the fact that people have made comments that there's too much sex or, you know, her books are racy or whatever, which we all disagree with me because we're a little bit racy ourselves, but, um, <laughs> certainly our mother is, but, yes. 
These are always throwing me under the bus. We now know why, mm-hmm. right? Like we have, she acknowledges it, mm-hmm. acknowledges right. it to an extent, um, and we understand a little bit more about her background right. and why mm-hmm. we see certain things in her writing. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to call that out for all the haters out there who hopefully aren't listening. Um, <laughs> that's why. She, it's, it's her parents' fault. Yeah, she even <laughs> says, if a torrent of sexual passion runs through all my books, you can just blame my parents. And then she goes on to say why. But I just love that she yeah. calls them out, too. Mm-hmm. It's always your parents' fault, right, right. Mom? Yes. That's well, right. That would explain always. the raciness. <laughs> that would explain that so much. Except yeah. my mother wasn't like that at all. I was, I was a knee-jerk reaction yeah, to my mother's conformity. And yes. And we have just, we're just carrying on your legacy. That's right. Thank you so much. And and we three are different as well. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Pam's like, do not let me in this. No, no. All right. So let's get on to our least favorite topic, common online criticisms. All right. So this book on Goodreads was given a 3.65 out of 5 stars. And I do want to point out that quite a few of the people who were criticizing the book said that they usually love Beatrice books. They had read the ones that came before it and thoroughly enjoyed them, but for whatever reason, they just didn't like this one as much. Um, So the first thing that I saw, and I actually only really found two that were common among the critics, but the first one was that the plot was both tired, as in the idea of adultery has been played out, um, and then also kind of slow. It took a while to get into it, and quite a few readers felt like they just couldn't enjoy the book as a result of that well I don't think the plot is all about like I actually disagree I think the plot is very interesting when you throw in this element of the tit and tattle and there's like this murder trial going on like yeah maybe okay woman cheats with this boy but but even that like the complexity of Teresa's with Octavian who then gets hooked up with Sophie Mm -hmm. and like that whole thing is Mm -hmm. I think really plus I think if there was any slowness it was to build suspense and my gosh there were some times when I would say to my husband I got I want I got to go to bed but I have got to Mm -hmm. because I don't remember what happened and I've got to find out Mm -hmm. right so I I love that suspense building and I will say um and I kind of alluded to this earlier if I'm totally honest this isn't my favorite Beatrice book Mm -hmm. it really isn't in fact when I started I had kind of forgotten it Mm-hmm. Quite a bit, yes. You know, and so I found myself going, "Oh yeah," and I I remembered Teresa Marshall for sure, but there were other aspects of it that I didn't remember as much, and so it was like this new read for me. And I already said that I didn't like either of the the two, you know, Sophie or Teresa, all that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still can appreciate really good writing, mm-hmm. and also that she can write so many books so differently Mm -hmm. you know that there are these I love that you know in this one we we have a love story we have some um progressive things happening you know even like Sophie with the airplane interest Mm -hmm. and some of those that we get we're getting those historical cool things happening then we have this murder trial you know this big scene in the hotel room you know so I think it's neat how Beatrice can do all these different types of stories and plot lines that that aren't all it would be easy to fall into a pattern mm-hmm. of writing, you know, and, and this you, is different. And, you know, that brings, you brought up an important part about the airplanes and, and her interest in um, things that would have been considered a man's mm-hmm. world. Um, you see that a lot with Beatrice. She does a lot of that. And if you look at the contrast between Teresa and Sophie, 
Teresa was doing what was expected of her in society, and mm-hmm. Sophie was, even though she knew that that's what she was supposed to do, she was so interested in the other. And there's that conflict again between the old and the new. Mm-hmm. And that was such a, she did such a good job. And I looked up the Audubon um, uh, radio system that she talked about. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was absolutely a real thing. It was mm-hmm. still going on in the 1920s. I looked up the airplanes that were mentioned at the beginning that were used to fight in World War One between the British and and the Germans, and it was it was very interesting to read all that. I just love how how she pulls in those historically accurate places. The Pickwick Arms place where uh, Virginia was staying, still a real place in mm. New York today mm. that you can go and stay at. So That's all cool. of those are very historically accurate as well. The research again. The yeah, research. See the yes. research again. She's yep. a good researcher. And the one other thing I want to point out about that before the next one is I think it does take a while to get into the big events of the book, but I think that's because Beatrice is so good at developing character. Mm. By that point, we all had a certain feeling about Teresa and Sophie. And I think a lot of times authors just kind of skip over that character development a little bit and they go straight into the action, but Beatrice does not. Right. Okay. All right. So then the last point I want to bring up, the only other one, is that people complained about the two main characters not really being all that likable. Sure. Yeah, I agree. But still well-developed. Yeah. You know, and maybe that's part of it for us because of our our English interest, Mm -hmm. you know, our language interest. Mm -hmm. Well, and there are other books where I think that is true. We have said, like, I didn't really like anyone, and we didn't like the book. And then there are times when we've said, I didn't really like anyone, but I still liked That's, the book. So yeah, yeah. I think it can be hit or miss. I, I don't think in this particular case, not liking the characters makes the story not interesting, makes Correct. you know the time period, all of the different things, the writing, whatever. Um, I still think it's a solid read. And I really feel like that is what shows a good writer. When you can write about people that other people just don't really like yeah. and still end up having a good story. Mm-hmm. And the thing is... Everybody is not likable all the time. There are definitely things about Teresa I really liked. There are definitely things about Sophie I really liked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but that's the way it is in real life. There are people in my own life that I, there are certain things I like about them and certain things I don't. Mm -hmm. There are people at this table. (laughs) Right. Right. No present company excluded. I have a list on my phone. Um, the other point I wanted to make just about your your layup into the common online criticisms about how like this was a book that people didn't enjoy as much even though they typically enjoy her books. I, as Pam said, it was also not one of my favorites. I kind of mm-hmm. had forgotten it. Um, but I, I think, I, no spoilers, but I yes. do think this is a little bit of a stage setter mm, yes. introduction to certain characters that perhaps we see some other stories. We get to explore certain bloodlines further. Mm-hmm. I'll leave it at that. Um, and that's been tricky when we're talking about yes. it. Right. I have to really think about what, what, what do can we I say? Mm-hmm. What do we, the general public reading this for yes. the first time know? Right. Yes. Exactly. Um, so... With that being said, um, where can they find us and what are we reading next? All right, so you should check us out at our website, which is novelexpressionsbookclub.com. And we will be back in two weeks' time with The Wicked City, which is the first part of a two-book mini-series within the unofficial Beatrice series. Until we read again. Mm -hmm.